The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have a special guest. We have Dina Eager uh, from Books Yada Yada. Um, if you guys listened to me, I believe I talked about it a little bit two weeks ago. I watched a YouTube video that Dina put up on Books Yada Yada, and she talked about Untold Mayhem, um, the audiobook. She listened to it on NetGalley, uh, which now has 50 reviews and pretty brutal. Uh, but it's to be expected. I knew going into this book that um, it was going to be very hit or miss, not only with reviewers, but like some reviewers would like it and some wouldn't. But then also there was going to be a lot of some people will like some of the stories, but then they're not going to like the rest. And so they're very hit and miss. Um, and that was one of the things I'd like to talk to you about today a little bit later. Um, you know, why certain stories worked for you, which ones didn't. Um, I think my biggest thing right now is finding the correct type of reader or listener. Um, and I think that's what a lot of authors need to do. Uh, so that was one of the things I was actually going through today and seeing like, okay, all the, having to read the negative reviews sucks. Uh, but, um, you know, it lets me know like, okay, I definitely, you know, I, I, I need to stay away from these kinds of fans and I need to market to these ones that aren't so sensitive or, or whatever it might be. Um, but the, one of the things I had asked you, I told you I, I would like for you to do today is to review some books to let me know, uh, let us know your top, let's say your top five books. They could be dark fiction. They could be anything because seeing that helps me. Um, in, the, in the first video you did on Untold Mayhem, uh, you did it alongside Jonathan Mayberry's um, Ink, which was cool. So that lets me know like, okay, if she likes him and likes me, then maybe there's some, some similarity there. And so that's kind of what I was hoping to get from this list and just to, uh, and, and I actually need to start doing some reviews myself. Generally, my reviews are really short. Uh, I'll do a quick one on Goodreads. Um, but like my daughter and I are going to do one on Carrie and I just finished reading Salem's Lot. So I'll probably do one on that. And I don't know if they're going to be very good, but we'll see. And I still haven't decided whether or not I'm going to continue to read King. <laughs> I was going to uh, ask you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I almost gave up on Salem's Lot, uh, but I stuck with it. And uh, I think I enjoyed it. There's lots of stuff. The good thing is I can see what I like and what I don't like as far as the writing. And so I make sure not to do that on mine. Um, but I just picked up The Shining and I was like, eh, I'll give it, I'll give it 20 pages. If I get into it, then I'll read it. But otherwise life's too short to mess around with books that don't work for you. Absolutely. Have you, have you ever had a problem where you need to finish a book once you start it? Um, I, I used to be like that. Even if I wasn't liking a book, I would finish it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I am extremely OCD. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and anally retentive. So yeah, I've always been one of those readers that once I start a book, I commit to it, even if I hate it. You know what I mean? I, I got to read it to the end. It's just, that's just how I am. But recently I think, you know, I'm pushing 50. Mm -hmm. So as you said before, life is too short, right? For crappy books or just, just for a bad reading experience. 
So what I started doing, and I actually, there's a, there is a used bookstore, uh, not too far from me. And the, the woman who owns it, she's probably close to in her eighties. And she gave me some, a piece of, <laughs> some really good piece of advice. Cause we were having this conversation and she said to me, she's like, I'll read the first 100 pages. And if I don't like it, I'm done. She goes, you know, because I used to be the same way. I would commit to a book and read it to the end. And that was that. So I started doing that recently. And even if, you know, say the book is lengthy, you know, maybe 500 pages, something like that. If I'm not getting into it, I'll usually, I won't literally cut the book in half, but I will stop somewhere in the middle because maybe I'm just something where I am in my life. I'm not, you know, and I'm distracted, whatever it might be. Um, stop, you know, read something else, sort of cleanse the palate a little bit and then go back to it mm-hmm. and, and then see if I can read the rest of it. And sometimes that that's worked for me as well, you know, but I do, I do stop myself now. Like I, I won't finish it. I will DNF a book if I have to. Yeah. Now, when you DNF it, do you also give a star rating? No. Okay. I don't. Because I don't think that's fair. You know what I mean? I like it. I like it. (laughs) Right? It's not fair to rate a book if you didn't read the whole thing from start to finish, you know? It's not not fair to the author. It's not fair to the other people who are reading the review, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. No, that, that always hurts, especially if there aren't a lot of reviews. I mean... I had one one person on NetGalley, and I'm going to try to get that one review removed. Uh, but she gave it a one star rating because she couldn't figure out the technology and download it. So, oh. <laughs> well, that has nothing to do with the book. Yeah. So, but uh, no. And I, how about um, just when you read a book and you didn't really like it, are you going to review it? Like, would you review it on your channel? Yeah. Again. I, I, once I commit, I commit. And I, I recently did this with um, my, you know, I'm getting used to the whole booktube thing because I'm so new to it. So they, there's a lot of the, the, the um, wrap ups that you do, you know, so I did like a mid month August wrap up and I read like seven books from mm-hmm. like the beginning of August to the middle of August. And I did a TBR. So you do these TBRs and you're like, these are what I'm going to be reading. And then you do your wrap up when you're done reading them. So I committed to those seven books. And one of them was just awful. <laughs> it was awful. And I did end up having, you know, I did, hi. I did end up, you know, reading that book and reviewing it. And, it, and I felt terrible because I don't like to give negative reviews. I yeah. really don't, you know. Um, so, yeah, I did read and read that book and reviewed that book. And, you know, I had to be honest with, you know, my limited amount of subscribers (laughs) that are watching my channel but you know yeah because it's just a forewarning you know it's like this is just it was just not a good book so now what made you decide to start doing the youtube channel and had you have you always been have you been active on goodreads were you reading and reviewing a lot prior I, I was, yeah, I've been on Goodreads for quite a long time now. I can't remember exactly when I joined Goodreads, so it's been that long. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, some books, I would, you know, I would just, you know, give a, a few star or what a star rating or whatever and not bother reviewing it. The books I really, really love, I, I will do a review, you know, mm-hmm. and they're usually not too long-winded because I'm not good at reviewing. 
I'm not really? good. I'm not. I'm not good. I have such a short attention span that I'm not good at sort of uh, formulating my thoughts and organizing them and then verbalizing them into a sentence, <laughs> complete sentences. So I have a tough time reviewing the books, even on BookTube. You know, if you've seen my reviews, it's like I try to keep them as short as sweet as possible because I don't like to spoil anything. But um, but also I just I just kind of like to get the gist, you know what I mean, of the book out there, mm. and, and keep it you know keep it that keep it like that. Um, yeah, so I've I've been on Goodreads for quite a long time, and you know the idea for doing the booktube is that what you asked me? Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, what happened was I um, I'm a I'm a holistic holistic health counselor by occupation. And I'm going into semi-retirement, you know what I mean? As it was, you know, like I said, I'm pushing 50 and just, I, I really just am starting to phase myself out of the whole thing anyway, but then COVID and quarantine oh, yeah. and I had no contact, right? Nobody had contact with anybody. So um, I just started really reading a lot mm -hmm. and I was just stockpiling books and reading books just like crazy. And I started watching a lot of booktube and you know just for suggestions and ideas and i just i was like binging booktube <laughs> basically <laughs> and i thought to myself hey you know i've got ideas i've got opinions you know i like to talk you know what i mean so why not so i just jumped in head first and, and figured you know what i'm just gonna do this and see how it goes and no expectations at all but it's been a lot of fun so far that's awesome. Yeah. And I got to say, I think videos is just, it takes a review to another level. So even if let's say you don't think you give the best reviews, um, I don't know. It just, it adds a, just something else an author can share. You know, it's another, it's a solid piece of media that an author can share. I think it gives legitimacy. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, so I'm glad you did it. I'm glad we got to meet and now you're here. Uh, yeah. So let's hear your, it doesn't have to be from this year, it could be from whenever. What books would you like to talk about? Which ones, which books have made an impression on you or left an impression on you? Oh gosh, well, you know, I should have wrote, wrote this stuff down. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't actually, because um, I was all over the place today, as you know. But um, one book that, has always just stuck with me is um, a book called Under the Skin by Michael Faber. And this was written in, I think, 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. So we're going, you know, rewind 20 years ago. I read the book when it first came out. And that book, I still remember the details of it. It's, um, they did make it into a movie, I think maybe five or six years ago. I think Scarlett Johansson was in it. And the book is about a alien life form that comes to earth. And basically they are turning humans into dinner. Oh, okay. <laughs> your, your child is there, so. <laughs> He hears them all. He, he I'm sure. All I'm sure. I, know. I just, I just kind of had the preface <laughs> just to make myself look good. Okay. Uh, no, you know, my kids are the same way. Um, yeah. So anyhow, you know, they, they, they are, they are do they're, they're eating humans basically. And there's a, uh, the, the protagonist of the book, her name is Israeli 
And they, the way Michael Faber just describes her is um, this sort of almost like you think of like a, like a dog, like cow, horse type of, if those were some kind of a hybrid between those three animals, that's what she would look like. So she's had to go through all kinds of manipulation with, with different surgeries that they do on her so that she can look as human as possible and that she can pose as a human so that she can go out and pick up hitchhikers in her car. Um, and basically those people who are usually paid people that live on like the fringes of society become their meals. Right. Um, but the book itself, it was just, it was so atmospheric and, you know, I mean that, like I said, that particular book always has stood out and I haven't reread it. I don't reread anything. Okay. Never. <laughs> I am not a rereader. I'll rewatch movies, but I will, I, I just can't, you know, Life is too short for me to read, read yeah. a book. <laughs> but I, I remember the details of that book so vividly. So he's, he was like so dead on. I don't think he's written a, a ton of books either. That's the only book I've written or read by him. And um, I loved that book. That one always stood out as just a bizarre, super creepy, you know, um, it takes place in the Highlands of Scotland, you know, um, it just had such a, a great vibe to it, you know, that it, it, it really stuck with me after all these years. So that's definitely one that. Does, that does it get very graphic at all? Is it yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very graphic. It's very graphic in how they prepare mm -hmm. the, the, the bodies. Um, it's graphic in Iserly in how she, you know, has to, what she does with these people you know, mm -hmm. um, and also what she has to do to herself to, she has to like, you know, really maintain sort okay. of, I, you know, I don't know if anybody's going to go out and read the book after they listen to this or watch this, but, um, so I don't want to spoil too much, but, um, she has to do a lot to sort of maintain her human look, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, there is a lot of, there is a lot of graphic mm -hmm. stuff in it. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, that's impressive to be, to remember a book from that long ago, 20 plus years. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it, it was stuck. It got under my skin. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we, what do we have next? What's, what's um, well, absolutely Thomas Harris, you know, I mean, Silence of the Lambs, hands down, probably my favorite book. I read that in high school. I remember my creative writing teacher in high school, um, was so excited for it to come out as a movie. Mm -hmm. so he had us read the book. <laughs> and uh, so reading that was probably, that was in, gosh, 1989, 1990. Um, that just always stuck out in, in my head as being, you know, one of the very first books that I read that was like really graphic and intense and psychologically intense you know and you you put the book down and it just sticks with you you know and i think most people who've read that book and are fans have you know feel the same way so definitely another one and all all of the books in the hannibal Lecter series you know he that's really all he's written i think he came out with he i know he, he wrote a book i want to say back in the 70s called black sunday 
which is, I think, something about war, World War II, I want to say. I didn't read that. I believe he wrote, yeah, another book recently that I didn't even know about. Um, so I might take a peek at that at some point because I just thought, wow, that's it. You know, you got four books in the Hannibal Lecter series and that's out, you know, going out with a swan song, I guess, you know, I don't know how old Thomas Harris is, but you know, I would say he's up there, but um, yeah. So all of his books have really left an impression on me for sure. Awesome. Yeah. That's, I was going to say, I am not well read at all. <laughs> um, what? How oh, can yeah, you not be? You're such yeah, a great writer. Yeah, well, thank you. But uh, only, yeah, that's, that's probably one of my downfalls. Like my wife reads everything. My daughter reads everything. Um, but yeah, I read Stephen King, Dean Koontz, James Patterson. And so I was like, hopefully my writing is not just like airport, you know, some, something to have on the plane and throw away. But that's all I really read. Um, but I did read uh, oh. Silent Lambs and Red Dragon and those. And yeah. so there are certain ones that stood out. And then also I used to read a lot of sci-fi um, and enjoyed that. But yeah, I'm not, I am not well read. <laughs> <laughs> well, you surprised me. Oh, when you said that, because I, you know, I, you definitely fooled me there. Because um, when I read your writing, I pick up on a lot of Lovecraft. So oh, I, 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 you know, I mean, is he an influence of yours? Um, it's been, well, part of the problem is all the brain damage I've accumulated. <laughs> my, my, my memory is terrible. I have actually, like this, I'm working on a book on... Uh, Join the club. Recovering from traumatic brain injury from playing oh. football and fighting and boxing and all car accidents and everything else. Yeah. Uh, my memory's pretty terrible. Um, I'm sure I probably read him. I, I know I read a, a good amount of Poe early on. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Chuck Palahniuk. Um, oh, yeah. He's probably one of my big influences that came later in life. Once I found my writing mentor, he was actually Chuck's mentor. And then that changed my whole style. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so that was yeah, probably, probably the biggest change, I think. So, um, all right, let's hear it. Number three. What do we Number got? Three. Oh, gosh, I should have been better prepared. Um, anything by Neil Gaiman. Um, oh. Yep, I love him. He, um, oh, he's such an amazing writer. Um, the first book I read by him was called Neverwhere. Mm -hmm. And that came out in the early 90s, I believe. Um, and that was another book that when I going, you know, if I, if I go back again, I don't have a great memory either. And, but yet those are one of those books that I can recall a lot of information from. And just the whole idea of this subterranean, you know, community in London and people living underground and the way that they sort of teleport and, you know, um, move around and, and exist beneath London that was fascinating to me so that Neverwhere is definitely one of my one of my favorite all-time books um and then of course after I read that I you know read almost most everything that he's written um really got into the Sandman that whole series um of comics and um now that they they actually just heard that they they're doing an audible, an audible, audible original with a, a huge cast of, of actors that are narrating all the different characters in the Sandman series. So I have to download that. I'll be doing a review on that for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I love Neil Gaiman. 
Love him. I also love, um, when you said Chuck, you're talking about Chuck, um, Douglas Coupland. He's a Canadian author. He writes a lot. His writing style is very similar to Chuck. Okay. I find um, that like all over the place, off the wall kind of writing where you're like, did I just read that right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, he wrote a book um, called Girlfriend in a Coma back in the early 90s. That's another one that stuck with me. Um, it's about sort of a, a, a apocalyptic type scenario going on there. Um, he wrote another book called Hey Nostradamus, which was about school shooting. Okay. Um, but they're very, his books are just sort of, um, you don't, sometimes there's, I don't want to say unreliable narrators, but you do question the narrator quite often. Like, where is this person coming from? You know, so he's a, he's a great author and reminds me a lot of Chuck. Um, yeah, so that, that's another, that's another one for you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to go through um, all the other people that stick out in my mind. I mean, I'm a big fan of so many different genres mm -hmm. that I know we're kind of sticking to the horror and the psychological thriller you can go ahead and, area. You could leave that area for a minute. I'll let I you think we can leave that realm for yeah. a little while. Okay. Yeah. I love Alice Hoffman. I've always loved Alice Hoffman. She's definitely, definitely one of my favorite authors because she does re write a lot about um, the, 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 the human experience, but she interweaves a lot of magic into it. So it does become very fantastical when you're reading her books. You know, they're, they're very real. Her characters are very, very, you know, down to earth, but yet there's this other element that she brings into it that just sort of, you know, illuminates things and creates a, almost an otherworldly experience in, mm -hmm. in her books. And I think that she's kind of gotten, uh, I don't want to say a bad rap, but not a bad rap because there's definitely tons of fans. But, you know, once you make the Oprah list, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, wish right? I, like. I know it's like oh god here we go you know nothing against Oprah you know what I mean yeah. but it's just like uh, you know I roll I just did it um so, and she had she did you know with with um I think it was Practical Magic I'm not sure one of her books made the Oprah the Oprah book club or whatever and uh you know so if you're like me and I'm I'm like a salmon I, I like to swim against yeah, that's all Current, I want. Right, because I'm just kind of an idiot and I'm ready to like just be gobbled up by a big bear and ripped to pieces. But um, that's, you know, that's kind of what I like to do. And so I don't read a lot of mainstream authors, you know. And she's she's definitely more mainstream, but I would still not, ca I would not categorize or call her writing mainstream because I know a lot of people where it suggested, hey, you might like Alice Hoffman and they read her book where they typically read mainstream, you know, and like Reese Witherspoon's, you know, book of the book of the month or the other one there, Jenna Bush Hager or whatever, <laughs> you know, and they didn't like Alice Hoffman. So, you know, so that's just, it's subjective, you know, yeah. it's totally subjective. Now with your reading, how often are you reading darker stuff compared to other genres? And I mean, is it just, how you feel that day or your mood or are you drawn to certain things at certain times? Absolutely.
Absolutely. I, I think I'm usually always drawn to darker things. Um, pretty much all of the time, you know, uh, I would say that my bookshelf consists mainly of psychological thrillers and suspense, um, type, the type, type genre. I, I don't read, you know, women's fiction or chiclet or whatever they call mm -hmm. it. You know, I've tried, especially when preparing sort of to do the booktube thing. I'm like, well, maybe I should read some, you know, of this author, I won't mention names. Right. You know, maybe I should meet some of this author just because this is what other people are reviewing and, and maybe mm -hmm. I should try. Oh, no, I couldn't do it. It's just like, really? You know, of course I finished them, you know, but there were, there were a couple I DNF'd. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So, no. um, so yeah, it, it does definitely depend on my mood sometimes, you know. Sometimes I, I am guilty of reading cozy mysteries. Because they are like I explained before, I think in one of my my videos called I call them the mint sorbet. They're a a palate cleanser for me because if mm -hmm. I've read something like maybe five books in a row that were like really dark psychological you know thrillers, then I just kind of like to you know cleanse the palate and read something light and fluff, fluffy. Um, so so that's how I break it up. You know, and then I'll, and then, you know, I'll read some contemporary fiction, maybe a memoir here or there. I like to read music memoirs. Okay. Um, I just finished one. It's a, it's a talking head um, memoir. Um, and comedians. Mm -hmm. I love comedian, comedian memoirs. I just finished um, David Spade's. Okay. Yeah. Which was really good. It was really funny. So, so that's, that's kind of what I, you know. I like to do. I'll this go through guy, the theories and I don't know if you've ever seen him. Uh, Brian Poisson. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 Just um, Good. Kind of sad uh, so far. but They are. Yeah. But, they, but all comedic. I, I, I will almost say 90% of the comedian uh, uh, memoirs that I've read have all been these incredibly sad stories because mm. that's that's what they do they become the comedians because they've had these really yeah. sad lives and they like to make people laugh you know so david spades even was was kind of sad you know mm -hmm. and that was surprising because you don't really think of him in that way you know he's kind of like this you know flippant sarcastic you know blonde you know preppy yeah. looking guy you know what i mean but no he was he did not have that childhood at all um Oh, another one was Daryl Hammond from SNL. Um, oh, yeah. Do you know who he is? I know who he is, but I didn't read him. His memoir, his was dark. Oh, my goodness. What a life. <laughs> oh, my God. That, yeah. Yeah, that's, that, a, that's a great book. That's a it great It seems memoir. like, I mean, so many artists, um, yeah, just have very, a lot, a lot of darkness. But then I always, I always think... I was like, you know what, if every person wrote a memoir, like most of them would probably be dark because so much of us have like stuff we would n rather never think about and Absolutely. things we could forget and everything else. So I was like, yeah, if we're being honest with ourselves, I think we all have a lot of darkness in there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, uh, sometimes I get on myself. Every once in a while, I'll come up with a new story idea and I'll think, I'm like, well, maybe I could make this one happy. I was like, maybe I could write a happy story. You've been like... <laughs> 
<laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. Keep fighting the dark stuff because uh, I'm enjoying it. So, okay. yeah. Did you sure. happen to read Every Precious Second in Twisted Reunion, the one with the old man and his wife? Yes. Okay, that was my that was my happy story. That was like that was my best attempt at like romance. And I did read that, and that one kind of surprised me. I was okay. like, hmm, that was different, <laughs> but it was great. Yeah, awesome. That one almost didn't see the light of day because I didn't think it was going to be good enough. But um, someone that had read one of my earlier books, we had some emails back and forth, and he was a uh, at the time I think he was eighty five, and his wife he'd been married for fifty years, and he was about to lose his wife. And I asked him if he wanted to read it and I felt terrible sending it to him. Like as soon as I sent it to him, I was like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. But uh, he wrote back right away and he said he was crying the whole time. And he said, I absolutely had to publish it. And uh, I even had him narrate it, uh, not in the twisted reunion audiobook, but uh, like a single audiobook. And oh, that's cool. So he, yeah. And we yeah. became great friends. We, I actually ended up taking my daughter and we stayed at his house in North Dakota for a couple of days on vacation. So, wow. Yeah. So now I'm good friends with a 90 year old man that I never. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I love being yeah. the story behind the story. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, but, and that, that's, I mean, and this is exactly the kind of stuff I would like to do, you know, meeting people that, you know, the, that I was able to connect through writing, you know, through someone reading my stuff and then wanting to know a little bit more, whatever else. But, uh, like, that's ideal. Uh, and, which is strange for me to even accept because I am such an introvert. I was like, I'm happy being by myself all the time. Just oh, absolutely, and uh, I understand. I am too, believe it or not. Are you? <laughs> so the whole when the whole quarantine thing happened, I was like, this <laughs> yeah. is, I'm not. This isn't that. This is my life. This is. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much outside of work. You know what I mean? No, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. much. I'm happy. You know, my husband, my husband was working, is, has been working from home since March. Um, and I thought that was going to just, you know, uh, completely tear us apart. But no, not at all. You know, he's got his space and I've got my space. So, yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, I, I completely understand. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah, no, I think, yeah, this whole time has been, and it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it could have gone either way with us too. Like it could have been bad but it's been awesome and it's been like, we're so much closer now as a family than Isn't we have before. And, Absolutely know. how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think yep. it's, and I think it's making those conscious decisions. Those like, okay, I want it to be like this. And so we're going to have to work on this and we got to not do that. And we have to do this and just figuring out what's going to work for the whole team. Right. So yeah. Being stuck. Definitely a team effort. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So now if you don't mind, we'll switch gears. Between Untold Mayhem and Twisted Reunion, did you feel one was better than the other? Did you like one more? And I'm wondering, and Untold Mayhem you listened to, which I believe is probably a better experience than just reading it. Um, I think that kind of set the stories apart a little bit more. Yeah, I actually, I listened to both. Oh, okay. I did. I got, I did do the, um, the, um, Okay. I did that on, on Audible. Um, I, you know, honestly, I loved them both. And I know, you know, I mean, as feedback wise, mm -hmm. I read, you know, listening to Un Untold Mayhem um, first. So, you know, that first experience with a new author 
is that kind of like your firstborn, you know what I mean? That always kind of stands out in your mind. So I think I remember, you know, maybe more of the stories and the one that, you know, I loved News First was my favorite in that collection. Um, so I kind of, you know, I kind of, I kind of feel, I feel like attached to Untold Mayhem um, a little bit more. Um, but in Twisted Reunion, um, there were, there were several that stood out and I have to like, because there's so many stories, I just want to make sure that I, cause I, I know I couldn't, I couldn't recall one of them that I really loved. Um, do, 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 do. It was sort of in the beginning. Where is it? Oh no, this is, actually I've got un, Untold Mayhem. I love, I will, okay, let's do this. Untold Mayhem. So I loved Pillow Talk. Oh, okay. That's the one about the artist, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I got to tell you that, something. That was my very, I think that was my very first short story that I sold. And really? I, I sold that for like five bucks. This is a long this, time ago. That's, that's awesome. I love, that was definitely one of my favorite ones too. And this is the one where he says, or he's thinking, um, it was so great because it was literally, you wrote this line and I laughed out loud so hard and I was in bed reading it and my husband's like, what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you laughing about? So I had to read it to him too. And it was, I can't, I can't find it right now, but it's something along the lines of, there's a fine line between ignorance and retardation. Oh, yeah. She couldn't, she was looking the at these paintings. I was like a Van Gogh or something like that. You know, some prints he had on his walls and she, she's like, oh, did you do those? <laughs> <laughs> I lost it. That was hilarious. So, and I, I read it to my husband and he laughed out loud too. So that was really, that was so funny. Um, and that, that's what I like about, you have a really, you, there's a dark sense of humor going on there um but then it's just there's also a lightness too you know there's a light it's just witty and and some i'm like i'll just chuckle at some some of the stuff that you write you know even if it's you know it's not like super dark it's just mm -hmm. funny you know That's cool. um let's see left behind that was very good i did enjoy that one Last Will and Testament. Yeah, this one was shorter. So I did it. I just enjoyed all of them, but definitely News First, uh, Pillow Talk, The Fine Print, uh, Left Behind, The Mirror, that was really good. Uh, no Service. And then in, um, oops, in Twisted Reunion, I really loved. Let me just get to it. Sorry. No problem. Um, the one about to catch a killer. Mm. Is that the one? Yeah. The, the sense, the sense. Yeah. Yeah. That could be a book. I felt like, oh, where is this going to go? You know, and it was one of your longer ones, mm. I think. So, um, but I, I just was like you know, kind of on the edge of my seat with that one because I felt like this could definitely be like a, a you know, a, a book book. Um, I loved that one. Um, I loved her character in that one. She was very, very strong. 
which, you know, is another thing, I mean, not to get off the subject, but like for a writer, a male writer writing strong, you write very strong female characters. Oh, thank you. How do you do that? Uh, my wife says she'll keep <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I have a lot of uh, strong women in my, like my wife is a very strong woman, does jujitsu and a lawyer. And, okay. uh, and that's what we try to raise my daughter. And so I think I've been surrounded by that. And yep. uh, yeah. So awesome. I want to give a fair shake. Awesome. Awesome. Giving, giving, giving the wife <laughs> the credit. I love it. No, but it's true. Very strong. So if she's in the inspiration. Kudos to your wife. Um, I loved book of revelation. I know we talked about that before. Um, there was another one. Oh, lethal injection was good. Group session. Where is it? Group session, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I loved that one. That was probably out of those the the three. There was another one. Um, what was the one? Oh gosh, and I can't see it. The the cab the the engineer. Oh, uh, Wrong Side Tavern. It, it was Wrong Okay. Yeah, it was originally called Wrong Side of the Tracks, but my editor thought that wasn't good. So we changed it to Wrong Side Tavern. I like that. Yeah. So that one was very good. I loved that one. But um, Group Session, that was fantastic. Awesome. It, that was so intense. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was another one where I was just kind of like, what is going to happen here? <laughs> you know, you had such really good characters and they had such dimension that um, another one that you could almost, you know, maybe see being like a novella, you know, um, I, and, and that, that's, I know that's kind of a question I had for you. Um, but I would imagine that writing a short story and giving these characters that only have maybe 10 pages of time, you know, giving them so much depth and dimension. How do you do that? I mean, um, that must be so hard to do because you, you know, you can't, you yeah, know, give them too much time. I think, um, and, and again, that that's where I run to a problem. Like certain readers, you know, don't like it. They need more. They want me to write longer and, and to really expand it and to, and to know more about the characters. But um, what was awesome, just, I think it was Thursday night, I was watching my son play Minecraft and I got a story idea. And so that's all I've been working on the last couple of days. And it's almost completely developed. Um, and it's really tough because he doesn't get to talk to anyone tell the end of the story. Um, so I have to really think about like, okay, what can I say? What can I do in order to get across who I am and what my life experience has been mm -hmm. just a couple of pages without telling the reader, you know, anything. So it just has to seem, you know, just flow as natural as possible. And uh, one of the things that uh, I learned from Chuck's mentor, uh, Tom Spanbauer is just really minimalism and trying to get rid of everything you don't need. And yeah. so, you know, um, I think by doing that, just snipping away all the stuff that doesn't need to be there, I could pack in a little bit more about the character and certain, and I realized like the importance of dialogue, like could just be one thing that they say, but that one thing that they said 
could give you a lot of information about him, like the way they said it, the word they used and, and all yeah. that. So that, that right there, what you just said in group mm -hmm. session, those very last words that he mm -hmm. says was like, it was like, whoa, <laughs> like, <laughs> whoa, you know, I, 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 yeah, I love that. That That's was, cool. I'm no, I'm I'm thrilled you've enjoyed them, um, and hopefully you'll like my novels as much too. We'll we'll yeah. see. It's, it's definitely a different beast. Uh, but yeah, those I'll I'll just send you those as well. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, how predictable do you find the stories, and does that ruin? Like, if you kind of know what's coming, and because some of the stories, like I can't hide the ending. Like we know what's going to happen. Does that ruin the story for you? Do you no. kind of, okay. No, and not even that, for me, that I think that that can be said for a lot of other things I read as well. You know what I mean? It's, it's the way it's written. So, okay. you know, predictability. Yeah, you might know how, how it's gonna end. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's written and you just mentioned minimalism, mm -hmm. being minimalist, getting rid of that, Filler, right? Cutting it out the, the extra the fat. Mm. I love that in a writer. Okay. And that's probably why I'm enjoying your story so much is because they get to the point. You get to the point. <laughs> there's no, right? There's no use in just going on and rambling on and on about the height, width, breadth, dimensions of a table for four, you know, chapters. You know what I mean? Um, I don't like that in a writer. I, that just bores me. So that minimalist approach mm. works for me as a reader. Okay. So even if I know what's coming, as long as that, you know, there's just that, not simplistic, but that mm. there is that feeling of it's written really well and all this excess junk has sort of been trimmed out so perfectly that you get to the point, you get to the point and you get to the end of the story or the book and you're leaving the, the reader satisfied because it's, it's just written so well. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay. I had another question that probably wasn't very important. Um, <laughs> oh, how about, well, and I also kind of think, um, do you believe that the books you enjoy are maybe, and this, this sounds conceited or, or wrong or whatever, but with some of my books, I feel like the smarter readers, are going to get it and the readers that aren't so smart are probably not going to like it. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, it does sound wrong. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Not at all. It's, it's okay. you know what I mean? It's like, it's again, it's, it's subjective. You know what mm. I mean? Right. You know, we we're talking, I don't want to bring up the author's name, <laughs> but there's a certain author that yeah. people just love. And I, so I'm not a huge fan. I have an immense amount of respect and admiration for this particular author. And I guess my opinion of this particular author would be uneducated because I haven't read enough by him. Yeah. But what I have read by him, I haven't enjoyed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's just, again, the rambling. Mm -hmm. And you're, to me, in my opinion, this is just my opinion towards a younger audience. Towards yeah. a, a, I don't want to say, um, again, I don't want to use the word simple-minded, but I, I, I'm almost adolescent 
Yeah, not know? as mature. And uh, and I and that's kind of what I got on this last book that I read too. And there there was just so much that didn't need to be in there. Like it just didn't add anything. It's like it kind of felt like he was just adding pages to the book. Yeah. Um, and just yeah, completely unnecessary. Like I I enjoyed the overall story and I enjoyed learn about these characters but it could have been cut in half probably exactly yeah and i don't and that's what that's what i don't want to do like my the next book that's coming out is uh beyond Brightside, and which is a sequel to my first one and that was a pretty short novel only about seventy three thousand words this one i barely got to seventy thousand words so it's very short but i was like the story's just fast paced and it goes and you know i I, I was looking for places to beef it up. I was like, ah, I was like, I think that's just what it is. So I'm going to be okay with putting it out there. You know? Absolutely. I love, I love books that are under 300 pages. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, again, short attention span, Yeah. you know, if they are super long and like we were talking about filled with just, you know, just too much useless information, I'm not going to finish it or I'm going to stop reading it for a while and I'm, I might not go back to it, you know? So yeah, the the faster paced, the more minimalist it is, you know, because I, I just, I'm not a writer, you know, I am a reader, I am not a writer, but I love to read books that just keep me going and I, I'm, I can devour in a day if, if I have the time to, yeah. you know, and I'm left satisfied with everything because there was just enough content to you know, to, to, to satiate you, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So you're not feeling like, well, you know, why did I read an extra a hundred pages about stuff that just isn't necessary? Right. You know? And so, yeah. So no, that, that's exciting. Now you said that you're not a writer, but a couple of things you mentioned, uh, maybe wonder if you've ever had the urge, have you ever had the urge to do any creative writing or, Anything like that? <laughs> Actually, you know what's funny is um, I went to uh, a high my one of my high school teachers was Wally Lamb, right? And he was a phenomenal teacher, you know. And he's become this best-selling author. And uh, I remember being, you know, in high school and being in writing going to the writing lab and he would help us with our papers and everything and um him always being very like encouraging like you should write you know da, 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 da. and i just you know that that was you know who i mean who knew he was gonna become wally lamb you know what i mean but he was just mr lamb and he was wicked cool you know what i mean he's just a wicked cool teacher but i had the encouragement i always had i had the encouragement from my my family as well Um, when they would read my stuff, you know, back then. And um, I kind of did, but I never wanted to write anything fictional. Mm -hmm. You know, I always kind of geared more towards um, true crime. I remember in college writing some of my papers were on Ted Bundy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I love the serial killers. (laughs) They were always on serial killers. Um, Growing up where I grew up, we actually did have a serial killer true story come through our town and they found one of my sister's actually um my sister's friends her body 500 yards from her house and i think i was nine years old when that happened his name was michael ross um and that always stuck with me 
and um, just the whole, you know, trying to catch this killer. And I, I grew up in a very uh, small town, you know, um, in Connecticut, where things like that just didn't happen. Nobody locked their doors, you know. Um, that stuck with me. So I think going as I, you know, got older, I was fascinated by it in, in some maybe perverse kind of way. You know what I mean? I just, it left such an impression on me, the whole process, you know, that um, when I did write, it was always, it always leaned towards that. It always leaned towards serial killers or some sort of true crime. Yeah. So, yeah. So well, if you're, if you're up for it, I can give you a writing assignment and I would help oh, really? develop it. But it's, um, it's an awesome assignment. Everyone that's done it has benefited from it that I know. Okay. Um, it is, uh, it's what Tom Spanbauer did at his writing workshop that I went to. Um, and it was uh, in just two pages, first person, uh, describe a moment that after you were different. And so something in your life that changed, something that changed you as a person. So it's probably going to be something sad. It could be, it could be that girl being discovered. Um, cause that definitely had an impact on you, but it's something yeah. from your childhood. It could be maybe the first time you were dumped. It could be, it could be anything. The first death you saw, whatever it is. Uh, but you would just yeah, go to that moment. I mean, you know, maybe like the first three years of my life, I can't remember, but that's, that's a long time. I've got to go through, was it you got your hypothalamus, you know what I mean? It stores your memories. Yeah. You know, go back into the archives because there have been multiple. <laughs> there, there are a multiple lot of people. I felt that way. There are a lot of people that will not do this. Um, I had a friend, she's like, nope. She's like, I know what I need to write about. I, I won't do it. Like it's locked in a box. I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. Um, but when we did this, I think there were about 12 of us in the writing workshop that did us, did it. And it was to improve our writing. Like it was all geared towards writing, but it was actually the most, uh, like we all had huge psychological breakthroughs. Um, and that's Tom's whole point of his, uh, writing is just to, he's like, you know, to look at the wound, like peel the, peel the yeah. scab off the wound and scrape it clean and, uh, really dig at it. But by returning to being that person, um, and that time, it, I don't know. It's just, it's super freeing. It's, it's, Awesome. Like I wrote about Pretty something cool. that, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote about something that had happened maybe 12 years before I thought I was completely over it. Didn't even need to write about it. Um, but I was up until like six in the morning, just crying, writing this. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And I didn't realize how much guilt and all these other emotions that I had, but by actually writing it, even though, and you'll forget lots of the details, you know, if you're writing when you're seven years old or whatever, and a lot of people will say, well, I can't do that because I don't remember it. Well, your more subconscious does. And even if you're just kind of like, you can make up all the details, but you're capturing, you know, you still have those emotions. All those emotions are tied to it. Um, so it might be something you would have, you wouldn't have fun doing it. <laughs> you would probably not like me for a while while you're doing it. But <laughs> if you did it, I think it would be beneficial. And, uh, and it might be something that you'd never show anyone to. No, but that's a, that's a really interesting tool and I might try it. Just do and it. And I might not. <laughs> All right, well, so if you if you are going to do it just do the first step which would be writing down like five to ten points in your life um and then from there you could if you decide to do the actual assignment do the one that you didn't even write down because you were embarrassed to so okay. and i've 
I've learned from friends that have, uh, like one of my, well, I shouldn't say who it is, but like he was raped when he was five and I had known him my entire life. And then just all these different things um, that we hold on to. And like, he had never told anyone in his life about that. So by being able to actually write about it was pretty powerful for him. It's cathartic. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like yeah. we were talking about before with these, you know, um, memoirs, you know, written by comedians, mm. how they use their comedy as catharsis, you yeah. know, and um, it's a powerful thing to be able to talk about something that you compartmentalize like your other friend, you know, just, yeah. it's hippocampus not hypothalamus, hippocampus that oh. <laughs> you store back there, you know what I mean? Cause you just don't, you just don't want to, you know, go back, there, yeah. you know? And sometimes I think it's, it really, it really just depends on whether or not you want to, you want to go there, you right. know? And that's, so. that's what I do with all of my writing. And I think that's why I love writing so much um, because I'm able to deal with all those things. Like I'm able to write about that time I got beat up. I'm able to write about the time I got dumped. I'm able to write about, you know, my fear of death. I, you know, and, and that's what writing does for me. Uh, So, and I I have uh, one of my good friends we're doing, try not to die the, the series I have. um, But his is set in Iraq and, uh, and he was in the Marines severe PTSD, uh, night terror since he's been back for like, so for seven years. And after about a month of us just going over this book and talking, like his nightmares were gone. So there was nothing else that changed, just that we were talking about, you know, and it's not necessarily just writing. It could have just been us talking about it as a form of therapy, but it was bringing up that stuff and working through it and he no longer has night terrors, which is pretty amazing. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. And my, so, my husband is an Iraq veteran. Combat really? veteran. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. should mention it to him. Maybe, I mean, maybe the assignment is for him. Maybe he wants to write about he's it. He's always right? talked about writing a book. Really? <laughs> and I told him, you should, he's actually writing a book right now, but it's, it's a technical writing book. Okay. <laughs> it's like, a, he's an engineer. So it's on, um, honey. Yeah. What's your book about? No, it's uh, everything from IT to Uh-oh. quantum physics. <laughs> quantum. quantum. Okay, sweetheart. That's good. <laughs> quantum physics. Okay. Yeah. But, but someday I told him he, he really should write a memoir because it is a cathartic, very therapeutic experience, you know. Yeah. So. Well, if he ever wants a shot at the writing assignment, he's he's welcome. I'm going to tell him. Yeah, no, I I'm going to give it to him. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, I should probably go because I need to help my son with the rest of his homework. Um, but no, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. And you're uh, so welcome, Mark. Thank yeah, this you. Was, this was fun. This so, was very fun. We will stay in touch. You will send me your writing assignment or your husband's. Doesn't matter who's. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. And then we will talk soon. Absolutely. You got it. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. News first. 100 yards south of the library's entrance, hiding safely behind a large brick dormitory, Nick trained his camera on the woman he'd had a crush on for the past year. Good afternoon. This is Amanda Harrington with Channel 6 News. We are first on the grisly scene here in Providence, Rhode Island, 
on typically tranquil College Hill. Ghastly images of the Virginia Tech massacre flash through my mind as I try to comprehend what I'm seeing. Reminiscent of the 1966 University of Texas Towers shooting, a madman barricaded himself on top of Brown University's 16-story sciences library and started firing indiscriminately on the innocent below. In the last five minutes, he has killed 17 and wounded well over two dozen. Amanda did a little shake of her head, tossing her long blonde hair over her shoulder. Police are trying desperately to cordon off and evacuate a six-block radius around the library, which stands at the corner of Thayer and Waterman Streets. They are seriously undermanned for such a large endeavor and are anxiously awaiting reinforcements from state troopers. Stay clear of this area at all costs. Those of you in the area should evacuate if you can do so. If not, find shelter in your basements. The gunman is on one of the tallest buildings in the city and has a tremendous view. Reports indicate that he has launched at least one grenade along with his barrage of bullets. Stay tuned. We'll be right back as soon as we get an update. Nick lowered his camera and flashed a smile. The shapely reporter with the sculpted cheekbones, smooth skin, and luscious lips was even more beautiful than she was behind the viewfinder. That was great. Amanda pulled a small compact out of her jacket and flipped it open. It was, wasn't it? We lucked out on this one. I was dreading doing that story on the football team, but it looks like it turned out for the best. Damn right it did. Know what this means? We're talking at least one journalism award. This is my ticket to the big time. I'll be seen all around the nation tonight. They'll be showing me on every station, and before you know it, I'll finally be out of this crappy state. You'll be taking me with you, right? We'll see. Can't promise you anything. She checked her phone. Any word on who this nutcase is? Have the choppers gotten a look at him yet? They won't send in our helicopter team while he's still up there shooting. Thick lines creased her forehead. Those spineless bastards. We need footage of this guy. Video of me standing in front of a brick wall won't cut it. But the police won't even fly in yet. Then they're even worse. They get paid to put their life on the line. Gunshots shattered the silence. Nick and Amanda threw themselves against the wall, even though they were out of harm's way. When the ten-second hailstorm of bullets stopped, Nick straightened up and snuck a peek around the corner. That dude's got some heavy-duty equipment up there. That wasn't your average rifle. Amanda dusted off her short skirt. Well, what is it? I need details. I don't know. Uh, some kind of machine gun, I guess. Amanda pulled out her phone and called their boss, Jonathan. Send in the chopper, she said. I need footage now. No other channels are here yet but they will be soon. Although Amanda was incredibly beautiful, Nick also admired her intensity and dedication to her job. All their co-workers labeled her the Ice Queen, but if she had been a man, they'd only have praise for her. I don't care, she said into the phone. 
then get a cameraman on the roof of one of the surrounding buildings. Putting a co-worker in the line of fire, however, was going past dedication. Nick considered telling her that, but judging by the disgusted look on her face, Jonathan just had. Give me something to go back on the air with. What's he shooting? Who the hell is he? Give me something interesting about the victims. Amanda listened and jotted down some notes, then tucked away her phone. All right, Nick, let's do another quick piece. I want to do as many as possible before the hawks swoop in. Let's give the other channels something to choose from. Nick hoisted his camera back onto his shoulder. Ready when you are. Amanda magically transformed into her sympathetic television personality. Amanda Harrington here for Channel 6 News, where we bring you news first. We're here at Brown University as the developing tragedy unfolds. Dozens are dead or dying as the murderous madman, barricaded on top of the 16-story library, continues to fire down upon the unfortunate innocent below. Police confirm that this Ivy League assassin is shooting high-caliber rounds from a machine gun at an alarming rate. No one in the area is safe. He has even fired at police helicopters. Once we're able to, we will bring you footage from our own Channel 6 chopper. We'll be right back with more gruesome details. Amanda turned to the group of students who had gathered to watch the taping. Any of you got any idea who's up there? Two girls pushed their red-headed friend forward. The round-faced, teary-eyed girl trembled as her friends retreated into the crowd. The girl's voice cracked. I think it's my boyfriend. Amanda rushed over and waved for Nick to film. Sounding concerned, she asked, Your boyfriend is the one shooting everybody? Are you sure? My ex-boyfriend... He dumped me last night. Nick could tell that Amanda was trying not to get upset with the dumpy girl. Are you positive that it's your ex-boyfriend? Not 100%, but I'm almost certain. Why do you think it's him? He joked about doing something like this. When? A long time ago. Maybe a year. That doesn't necessarily make him the gunman. All his schoolwork was about violent stuff. For his sociology class, he wrote about Kent State, Columbine, the Texas Tower shooting, and all kinds of crap. Is that it? Amanda asked impatiently. No. He hated this place. He hated everyone. The students, the professors, the coaches, everyone. Have you seen him today? The girl shook her head. Last night, he said that he never wanted to see me again. What's his name? Brandon. Last name? Nick focused on the girl. Amanda wouldn't want her viewers seeing this side of her. Oh, it's... Tafflinger. Do you happen to have a picture of him? The girl handed over her phone, which displayed a photo of the couple at their Christmas formal. Nick zoomed in on the picture. The smiling young man in the tuxedo didn't look like a killer. 
Does Brandon own any guns? I know he had a handgun back home. Nothing else that I knew of, though. Did he have any means of acquiring a weapon like the one the guy up there is using? His buddy, Ken. He works over in New Jersey at the Picatinny Arsenal Army Base. Brandon might have stopped by there when he went to visit his parents in New York last weekend. They needed proof before she went on air. Amanda held up the phone and asked the distraught co-ed, Does Brandon still look like this? Yeah. Except he's got a goatee now. Amanda nodded. Run, and bring me all of his friends. Hurry! His life might depend on it. Once the girl and her friends were gone, Amanda was back on the phone with Jonathan. I know who he is, but I need you to verify it through the police. White male, early 20s, bald head, goatee, around 6'1". Name is Brandon Tafflinger. Police need to contact a person named Ken that works at Picatinny Arsenal Army Base in New Jersey. I don't have a last name for the guy, but I'm assuming he'll be 20 or 21. He's probably the one that distributed these weapons. Find out everything you can about Tafflinger and the weapons, and call me back once everything is verified. Jonathan's voice came over the earpieces that Nick and Amanda were both wearing. From now on, I'll pass the info right over the wire in case you're filming. You're doing a hell of a job down there, Amanda. I'll let you know as soon as I get something back. The next 45 minutes were a blur. They had several conversations with Brandon's closest acquaintances, a couple of calls from Jonathan, and two more ferocious assaults from the rooftop. Finally... Amanda was ready to go back on the air. After a quick rehash of facts, Amanda said, In the last few minutes, the gunman fired grenades through the windows of the computer center, killing over 56 students that were hiding inside. He also blew up a police helicopter, killing three Providence police officers in the process. The death toll has risen past 70, with as many seriously wounded, some bleeding to death, because the gunman fires on anyone who tries to drag them to safety. I, Amanda Harrington, unraveled who this psychopath is. Channel 6 will exclusively share it with you, the American public. The killer is none other than Brown University's student, Brandon Tafflinger, 21 years old, senior, sociology major, Caucasian male, born and raised in a small town in upstate New York. It appears that Brandon's grades have been getting progressively worse each semester. As a freshman, he had a 4.0 GPA, and just recently he was informed that this would be his last semester at the school due to poor grades. One reason for the declining grades could be his serious gambling problem. Over the course of the last two years, Brandon suffered incredible internet gambling losses. He incurred such a serious debt, nearly $30,000, that he knew he would never be able to get out of the financial hole. To make matters worse, he just lost his starting position as the varsity football team's tight end to a freshman. My staff uncovered that Brandon withdrew over $12,000 in cash from his bank over the last two weeks and maxed out all of his credit cards. His bank accounts are now empty, and we believe he spent the money purchasing stolen merchandise from a friend who works at a New Jersey Army base. Authorities have already apprehended this individual. 
and we should find out shortly just how deadly Tafflinger's arsenal is. You must be able to hear that in the background, Amanda shouted at the camera, as gunshots and explosions rocked the muggy mid-afternoon. We don't have footage, but let me tell you, it is absolute chaos out here with the police returning fire on him. The shooting ceased, and Amanda held up a finger to the camera as she received a report. Tafflinger is wearing full body armor. The police sharpshooters were on target, but their bullets were deflected. Amanda held up her finger again and listened to the conversation buzzing through her earpiece. Excitedly, she reported, Tafflinger is standing on the ledge with his back to us. He's not holding any weapons. Amanda ripped her earpiece out and bolted around the corner. Don't stop filming, Nick. Come on, let's go. Nick shouted, Amanda, come back. It's not safe. She wasn't going to stop, so he jogged after her, camera rolling. A university policeman crouching behind a tree 50 yards from the library entrance grabbed Amanda and pulled her behind the tree despite her loud protests. Now that she was safe, Nick zoomed in on the man on the ledge. The man did have on full body armor, but because the assailant had pulled off his face mask and helmet, Nick could see it was the kid from the picture. The report was wrong. The kid actually was holding a gun, but the police hadn't seen the forty-five because it was close against his chest, pointed directly at his chin. Nick kept the camera rolling as the 21-year-old nonchalantly pulled the trigger, a fountain of blood and brain erupting from the top of his skull. The force of the shot sent his body toward the edge of the roof, where it rocked briefly before plummeting toward the pavement. Tafflinger had some sort of safety cable wrapped around his neck. Tafflinger tumbled through the air as the cable spooled out behind him. Nick filmed the fall and gasped when the kid reached the halfway mark and the cable went taut, instantly severing the young man's bloodied head from his body. Nick followed the body to the ground where it landed with a thunderous thud. A split second later, the decapitated head splattered on the concrete, bursting like a rotten tomato. Nick lowered his camera and threw up his breakfast on the lawn. Amanda pulled free from the officer and was running toward the library's entrance. Film this, Nick. It's my story. Film it all. She kicked off her high heels and ran toward the headless body that lay 40 yards away. Nick wiped the vomit from his lips and resumed filming. As Amanda ran up the library's steps, Jonathan rattled off the purchases that Brandon had made from his army buddy. Nick dropped the camera, which fell to the pavement and shattered, and cupped his hands around his mouth megaphone style. Amanda, come back! Get away from there! Amanda ignored him. She was going to be the only reporter to get this close to the deceased. Her beautiful face would be on every news channel in every state, before the night was over. The sight of blood didn't bother her, but the bloody heap that used to be the boy's head was a little much, even for her.
She took her eyes from the slushy mess and looked at the body, a river of blood cascading out of his neck. The body armor and bulky clothing had kept everything in place, but she couldn't understand why there was smoke coming from the chest. Amanda held the mic up to her mouth and turned toward Nick. Infuriated, he wasn't filming her. The camera was lying on the street and appeared to be broken. Before she chewed him out, she waited for him to finish his little rant. Speaking out loud to herself, she asked, What the hell does ten pounds of C4 mean? The blasting fuse ignited the ten-pound bag of C4 plastic explosives that was strapped around Brandon's midsection, sending a bone-shaking shockwave all the way to the bottom of the hill. Tiny bits of flesh and bone fragments were blown across the campus in a hundred-yard radius, splattering against cars, smashing into walls, flying into trees. Amanda's death made a great story for all those reporters that had wisely stayed behind the yellow police tape a mile back, fulfilling her wish to be all over the nation's news that night. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.